Thank you for tuning in to Hacks and Hobbies with your host, Junaid. We're visited by our amazing guests coming from all walks of life. We want to learn their story, their struggles, and their journey on how they got to where they are today. So stick around. In this episode, I'm speaking with Brendan Kumarasamy. He is a business transformation consultant at IBM. But more than that, what really drew me into his vibe is the way he holds himself up and the way he is teaching others. Um, I, I connected to Brendan through the unconventional leaders group and we've got to uh, share each other's stories uh, in the green room and a few times ago in the back in the past and he's been generating some really cool content on youtube where he's teaching you how to actually speak so i've learned a lot through that he's also a speaker and he's publicly spoken to in front of many organizations, helping many people and learning the art and mastering the art of public speaking. Brendan, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. My pleasure, Jim. Sweet man. So tell me a little about little bit about how you got into this business of mastering the speaking ability, the public speaking mastery. Yeah, for sure, man. So when I was in university three years ago, I used to compete in these things called business competitions. So think of it like uh, being on an NFL or a sports team, but for nerds. So instead of spending three times a week doing drills that your sports coach tells you to do in the morning, we would literally spend three hours for each practice preparing a business problem and solving it and presenting backslides to senior executives of companies. So we would it was like a sport to us. Wow. So suffice to say, in the last three years, I've presented over 500 times. And I had zero intention of starting a YouTube channel. Like for me, the, la- the only thing on my mind was get the corporate job, run the race, get the American dream. But once I got it, mm-hmm. I realized that there was a lot more to life than that. So when I was in university, once again, One of my students came up to me and said, hey, like, how did you learn how to speak in public? And I just said, I don't know, like, I just did it. And they were like, but don't you have like videos that you can refer to us? Mm -hmm. And that's when I started watching a lot of the YouTube videos on the platform. And I realized that a lot of the tips that other coaches were giving were very general, like, oh, June, just be yourself or like hey, man, just get up on stage. And I was really tired of that because there's a lot of purpose-driven entrepreneurs that really need this type of information that's very specific but can't afford a speech coach like me. So that's where Master Talk started. Dude, that's so awesome. What's really funny about that is, you know, I've I've gotten the same thing, just get up and be yourself and start talking. And same with videos. When people are creating live videos and when people are creating videos, They'll just jump in and be like, hey, I'm trying to do this video. But it all comes down to, you know, when you're creating content for somebody, you really need to focus on what specifically are they looking for. So it's really cool that you focus on public speaking and focusing on the tips and points 
that get you in the mindset of actually starting to speak because it's that mindset, right, that makes the big difference when you start speaking on uh, on the stage. Absolutely. Yeah, man. So you started Master Talk, you got your corporate job, and you're presenting 500 times over the past few years. Is that what, is that what you mentioned? You got it. Like just this week, I presented yesterday, I'm presenting today, and I'm presenting Sunday. So even in the next couple of days, I'm presenting five, six times. Wow, that's just amazing. And what that does, it's, it's just like exercise. The more you exercise a specific habit, a specific thing, the better you get at it. And that's exactly how athletes are so good at playing their sports and, uh, you know, running people who, are, who, who run marathons, people who run sprints. They've practiced and practiced and practiced that same ability over and over, being consistent. And that's what you were able to do, which is really cool. So tell me a version. Yeah. yeah. No, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, I want to get some of your feedback on, you know, what I just said. No, of course. I think I think what's what's interesting about the art of public speaking, much like any sport or really any skill, is the transition from passion to obsession. So when I started doing presentations, I didn't think much of it. Like I used to, you know, present a couple of times to what happened. But as you slowly progress and as you start to see that you're improving and you see that end game, which is to win the competition or to win the, the trophy or to win the result, you get a lot more intense and you present a lot more. So in the same way that, you know, you start playing football for fun or you start playing basketball for fun, then you realize, hey, you're really good at this. Oh, let's try playing varsity. Let's try playing professionally. And then, oh, let's try and get into the NBA. So it's a step in its own and public speaking is no different. So if you can transition from passion to obsession, you'll speed up your learning. Wow, that's, that really puts a lot of things in perspective because I keep thinking, or I have been for the past two years, hey, I want to do this one I want to teach this one specific ability or, you know, how to use your smartphone better to shoot videos. And I just keep thinking and thinking and thinking about it. Sure, I wrote some things around it, but you're, you're really, you know, you, you hit a nerve there where, you know, you got to turn that passion into obsession. So I obsess over it more and more and, and gain more clarity. And I think my trouble is that I am, spread too thin and there's there's not enough butter for this bread <laughs> you know what i'm saying so um tell us a version of a of your story your journey that no one's heard of before hmm that no one's heard of before that one's interesting um because i'm usually an open book so i usually share all of my my life. But I, I think what one thing I would say, I guess publicly, is I think one of the reasons that I was successful was because of my alcoholic father. So when I was mm. growing up as a kid, um, I had a father who, you know, wasn't very supportive of who I was, didn't really care about what I did or what I said, and, you know, wasn't really there for me and my family. But I think what the gift from that was it really pushed me to do better in life right because mm -hmm. when i was 16 i made a difficult choice which was do i spend the rest of my life to get him to stop you know drinking or do i focus my life in 
saying, hey, this person is not good for me. I need to refocus all my energy on something else. Mm-hmm. So I'm probably one of the few 16-year-olds you'll ever meet. Well, I'm not 16 anymore, but when I was mm-hmm. 16 at the time, that lived in the same house as his own father for seven years until he passed and never wow. spoke to him. Right. So that's probably one thing that comes to mind. Wow, that's that's really strong. And, and it's kind of interesting to see that kind of um, like what motivates people. Um, that 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 uh, what I'm trying to say is uh, I recently watched the Tony Robbins documentary on Netflix. I am not your guru, and in there there was a story or there was a there was a participant who said the same thing. I mean, when she was younger, her her dad never gave her the love that she did, thought she deserved, right? And she stopped talking to her dad. And then when she came to this event, she opened up about why, you know, why she wasn't doing that. And um, or the connection that she had with her father was very different. And she was able to break through from that to bring her father to be connected with her father before he passed away six months later. But again, it, it, it comes down to, you know, it's like both party have both parties. I don't know if that makes sense, but both parties have to be on the same playing field, but then sometimes it's just, it's just impossible. No, for sure, dude. Like, like in my case too, like I had the opportunity to speak to him before he passed away as well. And I think it was a very healing experience, but I think at the end of the day, I think what it comes down to is like in my life, I've always been really focused on this idea of hatred, you know, like, Oh, I hate this guy. Like I want to prove him wrong. I'm going to show everyone that I'm right. And, you know, I got the job that I wanted. I, I got, I hit the goals, but the issue with hatred is it's not a very sustainable motivator. So when, when I, when I hit all my targets and I got the corporate job when I was 19, I was like, Oh, what do I, what do I do with my life now? So it's, it was really that transition to impacting others that really kept the motivation going or else I would have kind of lost direction in my life. Beautiful. Yeah. That, that takes us to the next question. You know, what are some of your motivations for the things that you do? And you just went into that where, you know, helping others, you get that, that feedback from them when you help somebody, you know, there's, there's a chemical reaction that happens in our brains. I can't remember the terminology of it right now, but um, you're absolutely right. When you, when you, when you find your purpose, what you're supposed to be doing, what really fulfills you is when you realize, you know, where your mindset needs to be. Yeah, absolutely. And just to push that even further, what I would say is my my whole life's purpose is to optimize my life so much so that I can optimize everyone else's. So my my point of view on this is I think it's a lot more than just serving. It's a duty because since we were both in the top 1% income holders in the entire world, it's a responsibility because we've been given the opportunity to to use the resources that we have in our respective countries to then redistribute it to the rest of humanity. And I think that the thing that really pushes me and that should push your audience to react is, you know, like in MasterTalk specific case, there's so many reasons why 
I couldn't have done this that were outside of my control. So for example, I just so happened to be born in a first world country. I happen to not have an Indian accent, so I can be the spokesperson for public speaking. I just have that voice, right? And I just happen to go to business school in Montreal where there happened to be the most intense case competition program in the world. So I could, I learned how to speak at a top 1% level at a very young age, right? So a lot of these things I couldn't really control, right? So it, I believe it's a duty and responsibility to pay that forward to to the person in Kenya, to the person in Asia, to the person in any other continent who wants access to communication information but just can't afford me, right? Yeah. Which is the reality of the situation. So that's what really drives me. And another thing that drives me that I want your viewers to think about is this idea of understanding the alternative. You know, I find a lot of us, we lack motivation and we're like, oh, like we're not consistent. How do we fix this? And I think the easy way is to just understand the people you're hurting by not taking action. That's super simple. Like I was 23. I have no PhD in communication. There is a thousand reasons why I shouldn't have started Master Talk, And I did anyways, because I thought about the millions of people that I would not be serving that could be really be benefiting my, from my information now. Like I could be waiting until I'm an executive at IBM and to do this, wait till I have a boatload of money, or I could have gone to a car accident at 27, all my knowledge would have been lost. So if you really understand the alternative of your inaction, it really pushes you to take action. Dude, that's, that is so beautiful. That is so beautiful because we as human beings, the, the most certain thing is in our lives is death, right? And when we wait to do something, you don't know what tomorrow brings. So you got to leave everything on the table every single day, like Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant, we, he just recently passed away. And he was so young, 43, right? But he left everything on the court. So really amazing. You know, you've got to put everything, get to everything you can possibly, humanly possibly do today because you don't know what tomorrow brings. Yeah, absolutely, man. And since you mentioned Kobe, I thought I would give up. <clears throat> I give one of my, my life tips, which is implementing an admirer timer. So when we think about death, it's a very vague concept. So most of us think that we're going to pass away in like our 60s or 70s or 80s. So what I, what I tell my clients to, to do as an exercise is to essentially pick someone you admire that died at a young age that's older than you. So it's interesting that you mentioned Kobe because Kobe's my admirer timer. So basically what I do is I assume that I'm going to die at the same age as Kobe and I take actions based on that. And the reason I think this is a very powerful exercise for people is because it makes the concept of death a lot more tangible. So for example, somebody you admire personally, whether it's a writer, a nonprofit CEO, a basketball player, since you're always thinking about them and their death date when they left Earth, you're cognizant of the fact that you can leave Earth at any point because you're, the person you admired personally made the same mistake because Kobe thought he was going to live until his 70s and he ended up expiring at 43, right? So in that same way, I'm always living with the, the, um, the intention that I only have 20 years left. And that's why I'm investing a lot of money. I literally went from a kid who was in poverty to a kid making six figures to a kid making six figures back in poverty. I literally take every paycheck that I make from Master Talk in my client business and I just invest it back into the business because mm -hmm. I can be dead at any second, right? So yeah. it gives you a lot more 
tangibility and you move a lot faster i find that's that's beautiful man that's beautiful and what's um what's really interesting with kobe and um because i grew up watching him play and so did my cousins and you know i i am from la so you know it was lakers all day for us every single day watching you know every season watching watching him play and i was talking to my cousins and we, we we have this ongoing group message group for the past you know two decades and we're we're talking in there and, and but like we still can't believe it's just hard to imagine that he is no longer here same with I was very devastated when when I heard Michael Jackson passed away because I grew up listening to his music, and you're you're absolutely right. You know, setting that goal. The what was what was that uh, terminology you mentioned? Yeah, of course. So it's it's called implementing an admirer timer. So back to back to what you were saying. Yeah. This whole idea that uh, that Kobe was an important influence. I think the key takeaway from his life and his journey is that as purpose-driven entrepreneurs ourselves and people watching who want to make an impact on the world, the key message from his death is he just gave us a big torch and we need to keep running with it, right? Because he had much bigger plans for his life way beyond basketball, mm-hmm. right? You know, with the punies and his podcast and helping children across the world, have, developing a growth mindset at a young age, like he was going to do much bigger things in life and he That's wasn't cool. able to. Yeah. So because of that, it's our duty and responsibility to take that torch and keep running with it. Amen. Yeah, we we definitely do. And and the only way we can keep running with that torch is by taking action, by doing something that we love, by putting it all out on the table. There is a book that I recently read called Die Empty. And it's exactly what it talks about, you know, do everything that's in your mind that you dream of today because you never know when you're going to go away because a lot of people when they're on their deathbed they don't think about oh i wish i had spent one more day at work no they always talk about oh i wish i had written that book oh i sh- i wish i had you know done this and that so when we have the power today we should take action and make it happen one hundred percent. Sweet man, this is this is going really good. Throwing go, going really good, and don't want to be. I don't know where else to go. I mean, when you talk about Kobe and we talk about you know death and and taking action, I mean, the only thing you can do, I guess, go from there is how how can we go out there and make a difference or how can we because a lot of people like think oh i'm just a regular person how can i make a difference in the world right for sure and i actually have a very specific answer to this question because i find a lot of the answers that we see out there are very bland in general Mm -hmm. so the first thing I'll, i'll say is i got from this podcast i forgot who the quote is from but it's not from me and that person said that if you help one person, the world will give you permission to help everyone else. So when I started a master talk or not even master talk, when I started coaching people like students in university, you know, I was coaching people one by one 
And then I started coaching in groups. And then I started giving presentations. And then a month ago, I keynoted for 200 people. And now I'm making videos for the world. So it wasn't, I didn't start with master talk. I started with coaching one person, helping one person. So if you're helping one person in something you're actually good at, and you're adding value to people, the world will give you permission to help everyone else, provided that you're very good at that thing. So I would say just start with one person and start with asking them the following questions. What are you passionate about and how can I add value and support you on your mission? Super easy. You do that a thousand times and you'll find the answer that speaks to you, that works to your unique skills and talents. The second thing I want to say is I believe every human being should be focusing on solving two problems in their lifetime. One, that they're uniquely positioned to solve and the world's easiest problem. So let me explain what I mean by that. So the first one is super simple. What is the one problem where you have a world-class expertise in or that you can develop a world-class expertise in? For me, that ended up being communication. I was the only human being that I was aware of on record in the world that was A, a 1% speech coach, B, spoke multiple languages so I can make videos on things like how to speak in a second language, and C, was generous enough to share all my information for free on the internet, whereas all of my, my competitors essentially don't do that. So I became instantly the only human being that could solve public speaking for the world at scale. So I needed to do that. So that's what I'm uniquely positioned to solve. The second thing that's a bit more counterintuitive is the world's easiest problem. Because I find a big mistake that we make in societies, a lot of our charitable giving and how we give back to society is very fueled based on emotion. So for example, when there's the Australian wildfire, a lot of people donate money to that while human beings are starving or lack water and clean resources across the world. So I'm not saying there's a right or wrong here, but I'm saying there's a very emotion-based decision rather than an objective one. So what I, what I challenge your viewers to think about is don't ask yourself what the world's most, like the problem that you're most passionate about, but rather ask yourself, what is the world's easiest problem to solve? Because if we solve that problem, it'll give us motivation to solve everything else. And a good example of this in the past was the legalization of gay marriage. So if you think about that 25 years ago, if we were having this conversation, we'd talk about how bad it is. But today, everything is legal in the States and everything is quickly moving forward in that direction. Mm -hmm. So the question is, how did I get solved so quickly? Right? There's many reasons, right? Billionaires funding a lot of these projects, very smart marketing campaigns, the fact that most of the population either has a homosexual friend. So we, even if we're not gay ourselves, we understand the emotional trauma that comes with it or the struggles that other people that we know of that are friends go through it. So we got, they got legalized very quickly. So in that same way, you need to think about what is the next easiest problem? I personally think it's the water crisis. That's where I'm really focused on using the income that I make to solving, to helping the people who don't have access to clean water get access to it. But in that same way, I challenge you to think about what is the world's easiest problem? What are you uniquely positioned to solve in the world? And if you're able to solve that problem for one person, the world will give you permission to solve that problem for everyone else. Wow, dude, that was, that was powerful. That was really powerful because I keep thinking about, okay, what, what is the easiest problem to solve? And you're right. Water is much easier. And, and I've been obsessed about thinking about water for the past 
few weeks since I watched that video you shared, uh, the water, you know, the ch charity water, and there's no new water being created in the world because water is recyclable. It's it's only two elements made out of two elements, water, you know, oxygen and hydrogen. And I was thinking, you know, since water carries no calories, how is it able to sustain life? And I'm just like reading about water in depth from all sorts of, you know, ways. It's like how water is, is a cleansing agent. It's, it's amazing. And, and you're right. That's, that's one of the easiest problems to solve because water is available and cleaning water is not that hard. I completely agree, dude. Like one way you can think about it is one of the re one of the decision that fuels the world's easiest problem, in my opinion, is who is resisting your change. So, for example, if you take something like human trafficking, it's a very it's a very sad problem. But it's also a very difficult one to solve simply because we don't know how many humans are missing. We don't know where the humans are. And the people guarding those humans are extremely intelligent mafia groups that aren't afraid to destroy you. Right, So it's a very difficult system that we're in. But if you take something like the water crisis, the only person who's the only entity that's really resisting your change are big corporate companies that are taking advantage of water resources like Nestle and Coca-Cola. But the issue is that since the awareness for the water crisis has increased over the years, even those companies are investing a lot of money back into water preservation, which means the number of resistors, the person who's resisting your change, is a lot lower, which creates a bigger opportunity to solve the problem. Wow, that's powerful. No, you that that brings to that brings the the conversation to something that I focus on since I am a user experience designer. And when we're designing something, you want to design something that reduces the friction for you to interact with the application, interact with what you're doing. And for the past decade, almost a decade and a half, we have been using smartphones and there's billions and billions of applications. And you see which apps are the easiest to use is because one, we're so used to using them, we have developed this learned ability. Then you also see apps that are coming out using ability to reduce the friction even more. And when you're talking about find the problem that's easiest to solve, you're looking from the same perspective, okay, which one has the least amount of resistance and how can we get this completed? So then we can bring awareness to people and solve problems that are a little harder. Exactly, man. Like you hit it on the nail. Like especially with charity water, that's I'm so passionate about that. If there was a million people right now donating every month instead of forty thousand, which is still very impressive, but yeah. if it was a million instead of forty thousand, then the water crisis would easily get solved in twenty years, no problem. Just one million people need to solve need to donate monthly to solve it in twenty years. So what if he had? That's it. Ten million then it would get sold very quickly. <laughs> a lot sooner, right? Wow, that's amazing. And then that story, the latest story that um, they put out with the spring, 
that spring short video that was really really good i mean i was i was very moved by it and I, and i think that's that's that resonates a key takeaway for us and that's don't try and reinvent the wheel because you know people talk about oh what's your vision like find your own unique thing no 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 don't reinvent the wheel find someone else who's doing something really good and right and either find something wrong with it to help them or just join the ship and let it take off with you that's right right so that's that's what i thought about with mastermind mastermind isn't a new idea no. right people have thought about making public speaking videos in the past on youtube it's just the people that were making it were very weren't very good speech coaches themselves didn't speak multiple languages so they didn't come from that perspective and see a lot of the advice was very general so i did something about it so i took something that already exists and made it better and charity water is a good example too they do a, most things extremely right and the only issue is that since they're a nonprofit they rely on donations so i need to be one of those donors but besides that they run a very tight ship yeah or my alternative is i could spend 13 15 years and make the same mistakes that they did and waste a lot of capital, which I don't want to do. Yeah, yeah. So somebody's already doing it, join the sheep because now you're 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 growing that movement that you're already passionate about exponentially by adding people and adding awareness to it, rather than trying to do the same thing. Exactly. Don't don't compete with your admirers. I think that's one way of looking at it. I think that's that's a really good point that you made. You know, the word competition is such a it's it's good, but it's also very very bad. And that's why we have a lot of the crises that we have in the world is because people are competing against each other when they should be collaborating. A hundred percent, dude. And I even like another thing that I like to tell my clients is competition is clarity in many ways because yeah. competition tells you if you should be doing the thing that you're doing. So for instance, if you want to be an actor, right, you know, your dream is to be an actor, mm -hmm. but then you actually understand the work that it takes to become a professional actor, you know, being on set from 6am to 10pm, saying the same words, yeah. saying the same lines five, seven times, you realize that, Hey, my competition's willing to do that. And I'm not willing to do that. So I'm not going to do that. So I think competition is actually a beautiful thing because mm -hmm. it helps you understand what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. Yeah. So in the same way that I hate writing, so I'm not really planning on writing a book anytime soon, mm -hmm. I was willing to write, I mean, excuse me, I was willing to make scripts for a YouTube channel for videos because I'm obsessed about that. Now that makes so much sense. This makes so much sense. Really, really good. Thank you. But I think the when I was thinking about competition, I'm looking from the perspective of the corporate competition there is, right? Like we have the the Walmarts and the Targets and the Kmarts and these companies that are competing on building you know, building products and bringing products to the market that are cheaply made and and now and we can see that crises affecting the entire world because of this coronavirus business and how there's a lot of things that are holding down or slowing down because of the reliance on Chinese manufacturers. Mm. No, that makes sense. So from that perspective, competition, it's not good, but human to human competition to bring your mind up to speed to 
figure out what you're really made of and what you really want to put your time into there, the competition totally makes sense. But as companies should not be competing against each other, they should be collaborating or working together to build a better world. And I think we saw that with Microsoft's transformation uh, in the past 10 years before they were just competing, just trying to build another operating system to compete with the iPhone, the Android. And I think recently or in the past few years, they've adopted the open source Linux platform. And a lot of their servers are not, can now run on Linux. Their technologies are on, on Linux. So that collaboration is what has, a, what has kept Microsoft from going bankrupt. But then now they are so much farther along than they would have been. Mm, that's an interesting perspective. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm a tech enthusiast, so I, I <laughs> learn a lot about technology here and there. Um, didn't want to go off a topic where you wouldn't have much to say. You know what? Let's get into, we, we talked a lot about, you know, your journey, your motivation, and how somebody can be a better speaker, how, how all of us can uh, compete and bring clarity to ourselves and help other organizations that we're passionate in the same vein to help them grow their challenge. Yeah, for sure. And I would say, I guess, to tie, since we went over, I guess, the my framework and how to make a difference, let's let's go into why communication matters in all of this. Like, what's what's the what's the plug on communication? And the reason communication matters in making a difference in general is because it is the bridge between you impacting hundreds of lives versus thousands of lives versus millions of lives. So the classic example is a health coach. So a health coach is working one-on-one -on -one with clients. She's making good money, multiple six figures, but you know, she's afraid of public speaking. But if, she, if let's, let's call her Julia. So let's say Julia masters public speaking or gets much better at it. She'll probably say, Hey, instead of coaching people one-on-one, -on -one, let me do a mastermind with 68 people. Then she, does, then she does group coaching. And then after that, she gains more confidence and says, hey, let me start speaking and sharing my story, my message to hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. So what happens now is Julia goes from speaking to one-on-one -on -one all the way to hundreds of people at the same time. Yeah. And this also applies if you don't have a business. So let's say, for example, there's a cause or a charity that you care about and you're an ambassador or you're running for politics and you're helping someone get elected. Yeah. All of this falls under the same bandwagon where it's much easier for you to scale your message and spread your message if you're speaking to hundreds of people at the same time. So for example, in my case, Master Talk, the one of the reasons why I was able to grow quickly is because I speak on a lot of stages in front of like, let's say 200 people. And I tell my message, there's maybe 20 people who say, Hey, I want to follow this guy. I want to learn more about him. Yeah. And I also plug the charity water as well, like the organization. So they learn about the book. They learn about the organization. They donate money as well. So yeah. in that way, it's a lot easier for you to scale your impact on your message. If you are a master of communication. So I urge all of you, everyone who's watching and listening to to watch my free videos, to watch anyone's free videos, and to really make it a point to to master the art of communication because it's an important one. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Communication is super important, and I'm I I want to don't know what is that? I can't even remember. It's it's been so long ago. 
but <laughs> I, I took uh, part, I partook um, in Toastmasters and they taught a lot of cool things. And I had the ability to go, you know, to go anytime, go up there and start speaking. And they provide you a safe space where you can learn and get better at your craft along with the guides. But then you're, you're absolutely right. There's so much information avail available. And with your videos as well, um, there's a ton of information that people can get started. And uh, I need to take more into account of how I can be a public speaker or start talking to a larger audience and find my purpose, find my thing that I'm good at. So let's get into some of the questions that I usually ask my guests. What is one hobby that you wish you got into? Mm, I would probably say playing piano because I think it would be super cool to just be at like a party or an event and just bust out some, some tunes on the piano. But I, I never really got into it because I'm really focused on building master talk in my business. But I think after I start to, to relax a bit and I start making a bit more, more money and I start to stabilize, I'll definitely spend more time learning that. So playing the piano. Nice. I love it. You know, when you said playing the piano, the one thing that I remembered that popped in my head was Groundhog Day. I don't know if you've seen the movie, but he was stuck in that time period for a very long time. And he learned to play the piano. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after I first, I think I, I had seen that movie a while back, but um, really funny thing is, is I looked up, okay, how long did he really spend in that town? And it was like eight years. He was reliving the same day. It's insane. Our next question. What did you want to be when you were a child? This is going to sound really boring. So when I was 12 years old, my the career counselor came, comes up to a class and says, well, everyone, uh, you got to figure out what you want to do in life. But, you know, you're too young, so don't worry about it. So, but the thing is, I worried about it, right? Because I was a kid in poverty and I had an alcoholic father. I need to figure out a way to make money. So when I was 12, I went back home and I made a list of all the careers that were in existence at the time. And I looked at my report card and I realized that I was pretty bad in every subject except math. So I was a math whiz, but every other subject I wasn't good at. So I essentially just did the thing that I call process of elimination mm -hmm. and just removed all the careers that I didn't think I would be good at. And I landed on accounting and I never <laughs> changed my mind until last year. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Math is powerful and, you know, we, we do need accounting, but I think what, I think, I think the path that you've picked for yourself and what really um, helping with your passion with speaking, I think it's, it's a good one. Mm, for sure. All right, next question. What is your favorite movie or TV show? And if none, how about a book? Mm, the book I would recommend is Thirst by Scott Harrison. Mm. That's the one that really changed my life and the game for me because I find there's this quote that I that a saying that I have which is perspective frees us from the chains of constant complaining. I find that society, especially in first world countries, we all have chains, right? We're all handcuffed in a way because we're we're stuck in our own reality and we're always complaining about life from our own 
perspective. But when we start to realize what's actually happening around the world, like really understand, those cuffs fall off and you stop complaining. So I haven't complained in five, six years. And I also think it's a great read for anyone who wants to master public speaking because Scott Harrison is by far the best storyteller in the world, in my opinion, just because of the way that he was able to raise over 300, what, $360 million for charity just from his video. Like, this is crazy, right? You can literally take someone who knows nothing about the charity, send them a 20-minute video, and they automatically become givers. So wow. I definitely think he's worth studying as, a, as an individual. Nice. I love it. Thrive by Scott Harrison. All right. Yeah. Next one. Or thirst by Scott Harrison, by the thirst. way. Thirst. Thirst. Makes sense. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and by the way, if you don't if don't you don't need to listen to me though, you can listen to Bill Gates, Richard Branson, Brene Brown, and Ariana Huffington who all endorse the book. Who will endorse the book? Okay, cool. I'll check them out. All right. What movie would you choose if you got to play a character in it? Robin or a Hood. book. Or if Robin, Robin Hood is a movie. Is yeah. that a movie? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think so, yeah. Yeah, it, I think so. And the reason is because uh, I like Robin's approach to life, which is very similar to mine, Yeah. which is take the money from the rich and give it to the poor. Yeah. So the way I translate that into my life is some people can afford my speech coaching, some people can't. That's just life. Mm-hmm. And as Master Talk becomes more, more um you know, the brand becomes bigger over the years mm-hmm. and my YouTube channel starts to grow. I have yeah. just no choice to increase my price because time becomes a more important asset to me. Exactly. But the beautiful thing from that is I can read, like even today, that's what I do. Like I reallocate a lot of the resources and the lottery winnings that I get from speech coaching and I reinvest it back into better video production, better free resources for people. I invested back into speaking on stages where I can get access to more people so you can find out about my videos. So everything gets reinvested back into the poor, whether it's the water crisis, whether it's, um, whether it's, you know, my video production. Mm -hmm. So I like Robin Hood. So I would want to do that. Nice. I love it. Thank you. So it's no surprise that your favorite superhero would be, Um, I'm not very good with superheroes, so this is kind of awkward. But I actually don't watch many of them, but um, I am fond of the Joker. I don't know why. I kind of like because um, that's probably the last yeah, movie you watched. Yeah, that yeah I did. That was actually one of the few superhero slash anti superhero movies I've actually watched. Because mm-hmm. I'm not a big movie guy. Yeah, but I I enjoy the Joker because he's a very he's a good reminder for all of us to go against the grain. You know, back into our group, unconventional leaders. I think anyone who, who is insane in many ways, is an interesting human being. Whether okay, maybe not in the case of Joe because he's a bad person, but mm-hmm. in the sense of if you have the courage to go against what everyone believes, then that's when the big shifts, the big impact, and the big opportunities lie. Yeah, like it. I like it. Last question. Well, not second to the last. If you were a board game, what board game would it be? Man, these are some interesting questions. If I was a board game, this is a hobby. Podcast. Okay, this 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 is going to be interesting. Um, I would be a deck of cards because much like a deck of cards mm-hmm. in life, we don't know. This is my favorite quote of all time, by the way, mm-hmm. by uh, Randy Posh from the last lecture. Mm-hmm. He says that we can't control the hand we're given. 
but we can control how we play it out. Mm. So in that same way, you know, you can be playing multiple games or multiple deck, you know, multiple things with the deck of cards. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you can't control what you get in your hand. You can get a, an alcoholic father card. Mm-hmm. You can get a parent's divorce at five card. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got a different set, but yeah. you can't change the set. So the question is, what are you going to do with the set that you're given? What are you going to do with the lemons that you got? Love it. Thank you. Exactly. All right. Where can my audience find you? For sure. And I'm super accessible. So be sure to, if you have any questions, you can find me on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm at Master Your Talk. So super easy to find me. I usually answer DMs within 24 hours. So don't be shy to ask me any questions, anything you want, life advice. I'm always happy to, to share, to discuss. And you can obviously check out my YouTube channel, which is Master Talk in One Word. Perfect. I'll be sure to include the links to the podcast so you can check out Brendan. Komarasami. Thank you so much, Brendan, for this talk. We learned a lot from you. Thank you so much again for your time. Have an awesome day. You too, Jim. Take care. Take care. Congratulations. You made it to the end of the episode. Thanks so much for listening to our guest on this episode. Please send me an email at junaid at hexandhobbies.com to tell me what you loved about our guest today. You could find links mentioned in this episode on the hacksandhobbies.com website. 